A man and his four-year-old son are in a race for their life against the trio of truly bizarre alien invaders. And then we travel to Mount St. Helens, shortly after the devastating eruption of 1980. Prepare to grab your gear, ladies and gentlemen. You've been enlisted on a special mission. Operation Bigfoot Barbecue, today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys have some fun plans for the weekend. We got a really cool episode ready to go, so let's get it started. First off, before we get started, let's introduce one of our Thanksgiving live stream supporters. Coming into Dead Rabbit Command, everyone give it up for Helena. Yay, woo! She's coming in, she's doing cartwheels showing off. Helena, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the show financially, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show. That helps out so much. Talk about it on your socials. Talk about it to your friends and family. Really, really counting on you guys to help the show grow. Helena, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're going to take a nice leisurely drive all the way out to Russia. You know, when I started this show, it's we're going on year four, really, in June. It'll be four years since we started this show. It's crazy. One of the things that I never would have predicted, that we would be in Russia so much. When the Iron Curtain fell, when communism was wiped off of the European continent, a bunch of people showed up and started talking about UFOs. It's really, really fascinating. I, What happened was you had people having these experiences around the same time that the Americans were, really post-nuclear bomb, atomic age, to now. But you didn't want to talk about it. We've addressed this in other episodes because you would end up in a gulag at best. You're basically, if you said that you saw these unusual events, you would be visited by the KGB. And they there we have covered UFO stories before where it ends with, the people being told, don't mention this to anyone, the KGB will come looking for you. I'll see if I can find this specific episode where the dude like kept his mouth shut. He told the people in the village, and they were like, stop, stop talking to us, please. I'll see if I can find that episode. Because it happens more than once. So I, looking back, I think that's been really cool to look behind the Iron Curtain and all the, I would say, honestly, pound for pound, from the research that I've done, there have been more UFO sightings in Russia than in the United States. And I know there's a bigger landmass to Russia, but still, it's it doesn't even seem like it's in comparison. So many stories are coming from Russia, or came from Russia. This one is from August 1989. And we're in uh, Tamazov. That's in the Ufa region of Russia. And this is a very bizarre story, and it starts off bizarre. This one takes place at 7 a.m., It's 7 a.m. and we're in the kitchen of a man who just gives his first initial F. Then his last name is Zayivoy. So we're going to call this guy Frank. Frank is working in the kitchen, cooking up some eggs. Throwing in some bacon. Static on the television. His four-year-old son is upstairs, still hanging out in his room. And Frank is sitting here cooking up these eggs. Throws them on the plate. He's done done making breakfast, and he leaves the kitchen. A short while later, he walks back into the kitchen. There's still the plate there with the eggs and the bacon. He walks into the kitchen. And sitting on the kitchen floor, 
is a bent fork. Now, Frank looks down at this with the curiosity that any of us would have. He was just in this room. He remembers not bending any forks. He walks over and he looks at this bent fork on the floor. So he bends over to pick it up. And as he's bending over and he's reaching for this fork, all of a sudden, in front of him, this so, this is so bizarre. So imagine this. You're totally bent over in this kitchen, bending over to pick up this fork, and then you see a blue glow. And you notice the blue glow is coming from in front of you. But you're bent over. You can't really see what it is. This is almost like I've seen this in cartoons. He starts to look up as he's holding this fork. He starts to look up and he sees a pair of glowing blue legs. And he's slowly... He doesn't know who these belong to, right? And you're kind of nervous. Do you want to know who they belong to? He's slowly looking up as he's straightening his back. He's slowly raising his eyes and raising his head, and he's seeing that these blue legs are attached to a glowing blue person. But not just any not just any glowing blue person. Not Benny, who lives down the street, who loves to glow blue in the morning. This dude is eight feet tall. So I mean, he's still, he, to this day, he's still slowly looking up. He's still craning his neck up. And then he realizes, actually, there's two glowing blue people in the room, right? That's just not weird enough. There's a giant eight-foot-tall guy. There's another one standing next to him who's shorter. Doesn't say how much shorter. Doesn't say if he's still seven feet tall. But now Frank is standing in his kitchen, and there's an eight-foot-tall glowing blue dude just standing there. And then his partner standing there as well. Fight or flight, right? Fight or flight. It is natural to human life, really animal life, fight or flight. And as he looks up and he sees these two intruders glowing bright blue in the morning, right? It would be weird any time of day, but it's 7 a.m. We don't get a lot of alien encounters this early. He's looking at these two guys and the taller one points two fingers at the dude and says in a mechanical voice, Do not resist. But (laughs) fight or flight. You gotta do something. Frank begins just reaching <laughs> randomly in the kitchen, throwing stuff at these dudes, right? Toaster, whoosh, plate, whoosh, bent fork. Whoosh. He starts throwing all this random stuff at these dudes, and the taller one just looks at Frank and goes, Nothing can touch us. So that, that was the fight response, right? Now, when he says nothing can touch us, I'm wondering if stuff was actually bouncing off of these dudes or if it was harmlessly passing through or if they were pretending it didn't hurt. He hits them super hard with the toaster. The alien's like, oh, knocks the wind out of him. And he's like, uh, you can't defeat us. And then he turns around and he throws up. He goes, nothing can touch us. And that's that fight or flight mechanism, right? You did the fight. You did the fight thing. It didn't work. These two dudes are just totally standing there. Now it's the flight part. But this dude can't just bounce he has a four-year-old kid upstairs so he runs upstairs grabs his kid and as he's running back down through the living room these two dudes are still just standing there and i don't know why he made this leap of logic no pun intended i guess you don't know the pun yet but he comes down the stairs and he sees these two blue dudes i don't know where they are at in relation to any of the doors in the house but When he runs downstairs holding his four-year-old son, he thinks the only way out of this house, I'm going to jump through the window. 
So I don't know where he made that leap of logic, no pun intended, but he jumps out of the window away from these two blue dudes. And 7 a.m. on a sunny August morning in Russia, he leaps through his window. He's now standing in his front yard. And there is another alien. And when I use the word alien, this is where we talk about alien as in absolutely not of this world. The other two beings were glowing blue, but they were humanoid. Arms and legs, heads, mouths, they're talking. When he jumps out the window, there is this dude standing there. Arms and legs. That that boy's looking up really slowly. He's like, oh, it didn't work well the first time, but this time it might be good. He's looking at this guy, and it's basically a robot. He describes this one as incredibly robotic, but it didn't have a head. Instead, it had this huge computer monitor. And it was just showing all of these multicolored lights dancing across the screen. Frank took his son and didn't he did not look back. He just ran through town until he felt safe. He's running, he's he's running to this day. I got a story from thinkaboutitdocs.com. They got it from a magazine called Evening Ufa, which which technically is the name of the town. I'm wondering if it was like a newspaper there. It was written by a guy named Janati Ivanov. It's a great story. I love the setup of it. We very rarely get this stuff happening in the morning. You're destroying the sanctity of the house. How would you ever feel safe if these things could just appear in here? And this is what we know about aliens, right? This is what we know about aliens. They just appear in places. You can't stop them. And I also love it when we get the alien aspect of it. We don't see it as often as you should. We covered that story, the invasion, uh, like, what was it, the Casablanca invasion? I'll put that in the show notes. It's one of my favorite episodes. It's truly alien, the way these things are behaving. And I I love, we cover a lot of this stuff on the show, but when you look at UFO lore in general, and American UFO lore specifically, it's a lot of gray aliens, Pleiadians, reptilians. And you go, Jason, I, I mean, reptilians are alien. Yeah, but they're still in that humanoid thing, and the reptilians have these power struggles, and the Pleiadians are like, no, we must bring about world peace. Those are all human emotions to just wake up, and you're in your kitchen doing your thing, and then they <laughs> it ruins his fork, too. They're there. Why are they there? Why are they there so early? Why'd they bend the fork? Was it them coming into our reality that caused the fork to bend? And then just the one dude in the front yard with the multicolored monitor head. A truly alien thing. Like, I get the first two guys might have been looking for some ham and eggs, but what was the guy doing with the monitor head in in the front yard? It's so weird. Such a bizarre story. And I'm wondering, you know, we do have a glut of great alien encounters in America. And in Russia, there is no through line. Like, I've been reading stuff about Russian UFO encounters now for almost four years, and I wasn't really aware of them before this. They're so abstract. Very, very abstract. And it's interesting because when you look at artwork that came out of or was made during the Soviet Union and artwork in the United States, their artwork is more abstract. I wonder what... That's always the question. It's too too big to go into here, but what is the UFO phenomenon? Is it 
alien life. I don't think it's made up. I don't, I'm not one of those people who thinks that everyone makes it up and there's no life anywhere. My question always is, is it interdimensional? Is it from outer space? Is it from, is, are they people who evolved alongside of, of us on earth? And they're hidden. They're hidden in cave systems or underwater. I mean, these are all, like, I'm not making these theories up. Um, these are all different theories in UFOlogy. But then you have to wonder, is is the perceiver of the alien encounter also affecting that? If it's an interdimensional creature, is, is what your worldview affecting that? Because Russian UFO encounters are so abstract. They're so bizarre. You do get weird stuff happening in America. But most of the time, they're wearing little helmets with little... If they're not a gray alien, when you look back in 1950s, 1960s UFO encounters, they're making pancakes for people. Put that episode in the show notes. I didn't just make that up. They wear helmets and suits, and they look like people from old 1950s alien movies. When you go to Russia, it's just a dude with a giant monitor head. Very, very interesting stuff. You know, a side note, did you know that uh, there's a conspiracy theory, and, and honestly, I think it's true, I think a lot of people think it's true, uh, that the art coming out of the Soviet Union during the 60s and the 70s was so daring and abstract and just, it was this new type of art, and what was happening in America was like the Norman Rockwell type of thing. You know, like, hey, look, it's two kids, two straws, and a chocolate milkshake, and a malt shop. The elite, the artist community was like, dude, our art sucks. Like, look at the stuff that uh, Soviet Union's doing. Maybe they know something. Maybe communism is better. The conspiracy theory, and I honestly think this is true, and I think there's a lot of stuff to back it up. The CIA funded the modern art movement in America to compete with the Soviet art movement. All that stuff going on, all that modern art that came out of the 60s and the 70s and, and, and to today was created by the CIA. I don't even think this is a controversial statement. As the CIA breaks into my house and kills me, I've read articles about this. Like I'm pretty sure that's well known. The CIA funded the postmodern art movement of America and the modern art movement as well to compete with the Soviets. Fascinating stuff. The CIA, man, they got their fingers in everything. They got their fingers on the trigger every time they catch me in their crosshairs as well. But I just loved this alien story and I wanted to share it with you. I can understand, like, these aliens who are talking to me and saying, don't resist. I mean, I'm still going to resist. I can see them saying, you can't harm us. But could you imagine coming up against something that is just a monitor for a head? Like, you can't even look into its eyes. It's so inhuman. It's it's the you know definition of a robot. And what was the monitor showing? Where was the signal coming from that was being shown on this monitor? Absolutely creepy. And it all happened... Seven in the morning, too, which adds that extra layer of you're never safe. You're absolutely never safe from these things. Helena, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the carpenter copter. We are leaving behind Russia. That guy's still running down the street. Come on, come on, jump on the helicopter. His son is now an adult man. He's like, Dad, please put me down. Well, let's give him a ride. And Helena, fly this carpenter copter all the way out from Russia to Mount St. Helens, Washington. It's May 18th, 1980. Mount St. Helens erupts. Hot lava. People are running down the mountain. They're like, ah, ah. And the lava melts. And then there's some dude. He made it down the mountain. He's like, that was close. I'm just going to look up and go, yay. And hold my mouth open. He gets a bunch of ash. There's another dude running down the mountain. And a boulder's chasing after him. He's like, ah. Bunch of people died. Bunch of people died. In real life, not in these comically bizarre ways. 
I don't even know if a bunch of lava shot out of it. I know it was a lot of ash and part of the mountain, part of the volcano, like collapsed. It was like an entire side of it just kind of bubbled out and then blew up. So it wasn't like Joe versus the volcano. It wasn't like something dope like that. It was just like, it was just massive human misery because it killed dozens of people. It was a huge environmental catastrophe. Ash spread across 11 states and four Canadian provinces. Thousands and thousands of animals were killed in the heat and the ash and the debris. It was awful. But something else happened when Mount St. Helens erupted. Of course, you had a bunch of rescue teams coming, right? You wanted to come in. You had to, like, save people. (laughs) Save people from looking up and going, look at that! As more ash was coming. They're like, no, no, close your mouth. You had National Guard come out there. They were trying to prevent more deaths and save people that they could. So National Guard was out there. And people in town saw a bunch of Chinook helicopters fly over to the area surrounding Mount St. Helens. That's normal, right? Chinook helicopters, they're used for military transportation. So it would make sense to see a bunch of these during a rescue operation. But the rumor was, is these Chinook helicopters weren't rescuing people. There's like people stranded on their roofs, a bunch of hot lava surrounding the building. They're like, help us, help us. Chinook's like, yeah, these Chinook helicopters weren't there to rescue humans. It was a retrieval mission these guys were on. They were there to pick up dead Bigfoots. Apparently, among the thousands of animals and dozens of humans, quite a few Bigfoots were killed when this mountain went off. And that would make sense, right? Washington Pacific Northwest is the home of Bigfoot. When a disaster this huge would hit, of course, you would see this as a, as a, a side effect. You would see a lot of dead Bigfoots. So these Chinook helicopters came in to retrieve these bodies and they attached, they are so heavy, they had to have these huge nets. The Chinook helicopters had to net them together and fly away with these Bigfoot bodies. Destination unknown. Military laboratory. (laughs) Pervert, pervert scientist who wanted to see if it was just the feet that were big. Who knows? We don't know where these Bigfoot bodies went. So that is a story that you'll see pop up every once in a while in Bigfoot lore that a couple Bigfoots died when Mount St. Helens went off and the Chinook helicopters flew them away. Very, very interesting. However, recently, uh, Mysterious Universe did a write-up about Bigfoot, Yeti, and government records. What do agencies really know of these hairy giants? By Nick Redfern. And that article mentioned another story. Back in 2012, a former National Guardsman contacted bigfootevidence.blogspot.com to say that this was more than just a couple of Chinook helicopters picking up the corpses of these burnt Bigfoot. I was on the ground. This is the whole story. So this National Guardsman, we're going to call him Joey. Joey said, Joey said him and his fellow Guardsmen were sent to this particular area of Mount St. Helens to work on this cleanup crew. And while they're there, some dude's like, oh, hey, you guys. You dudes over there, quit cleaning up. They're like, we weren't doing it. How do you clean up after a volcano? They're like dusting rocks. They're like, uh, I guess this works. They're like giving squirrels baths. But just then the commanding officer on the scene goes, you guys, hey, put down those beavers. They can, they can build their own dam. You guys are being reassigned. Escort mission. Get your gear and get ready to go in five minutes. And they're like, okay. So they're putting down the beavers. They're waving goodbye. And they're getting their gear ready, and they're like, well, we're doing an escort mission. Who are we escorting around here? And at that point, there's this vehicle there, and out of the back jumps a civilian. 
This dude's walking around, glasses and like just regular old civilian clothes. He doesn't have a uniform, right? You can obviously tell this guy's not in the military. And Joey turns to the commanding officer and goes, oh, so is this the guy we're escorting? The commanding officer looks, looks dramatically right at the camera and goes, no. Well, yeah, you're escorting him, but you're also escorting that. Out of this van hops Bigfoot. Now, you would hope you're seeing a cryptid for the first time. You would hope he was in a good mood, right? But he's not. His fur is singed. And he has a bandage on his arm. It's a little sad, right? A little underwhelming, right? You wanted to see this guy forever. He has a really sad, kind of haunted look in his eye. And the civilian guy turns to Bigfoot and goes, Bigfoot goes, Soldiers are like, dude, we signed up National Guard to like help floods and stuff like that. Help during volcanoes. And now we're going to be escorting Bigfoot. What in the world is going Where are we going? The civilian goes, here's, here's what we're going to do, everyone. Get in this Jeep. <laughs> the Bigfoot's driving. His feet are destroying the gas pedals. Ah! Everyone get in this Jeep. We're going to go wherever this big fella tells us to go. It's interesting because the National Guardsman describes this Bigfoot as looking like the beast. Not from the Bible. It's the Antichrist. He's opening up this portal. I will devour your souls. No. Beast from the X-Men. So just very furry with the look of intelligence on him. And he doesn't even specify how big this guy is. The beast is, from the comic books is, is normal height. So he doesn't even say that this guy's like super huge. It's just, I mean, he's obviously not human. It's a big old monster man. But you have this dude covered in fur. The very, very expressive face. And the expression right now is sadness. So they all get in the Jeep. And they're driving around, and the whole time, the Bigfoot and the civilian are having a conversation. <laughs> and the soldiers are just listening in. They don't understand anything, but it's fascinating. A man, a human, talking to a Bigfoot. Bigfoot's existing in the first place? <laughs> stop. He's telling us to stop. The Jeep comes to a stop, and the Bigfoot's sitting in the back and goes... The forest is quiet. They wait a moment. The forest is quiet. They wait another moment. And then Bigfoot turns to the civilian. Keep going. Keep going. We're leaving this area. The jeep continues on its path. They get to the next location. Bigfoot yells out into the forest. Feel like chasing a new police stop doing the super irritating Bigfoot voice? Nope. Because what happens is when he yells out this time, off in the distance of the woods, Bigfoot got super excited. And he's like, okay, I'll just say what the Bigfoot's saying in English at this point. Otherwise, this episode's going to be three hours long. Basically, Bigfoot's going, one of my people, one of my people are here. Apparently, he's a professional wrestler now. And so the National Guardsmen go out and they follow the sound of this other Bigfoot. And they find 
big old, big old furry dude just laying there. He's injured, but he's going to be okay. Come on, come on. Let's get, let's get an entire division of troops to carry you back to the Jeep. Now, I'm guessing it doesn't say that this Bigfoot jumps in the Jeep with the other guys. I'm guessing like they left some soldiers behind to like keep them company while the rescue mission's coming in. Because the Jeep that Joey is in and the civilian and the first Bigfoot continues to drive on its way. They go to the next location. It's a cave. And the Bigfoot yells out of the car, Is anyone in there? In there? In there? Uh, they hear a Bigfoot yelling in pain. <laughs> this would be the most horrifying mission to ever go on. They hear the sound of this Bigfoot screaming in pain down this dark cave. So two soldiers go inside. And they start trying to help this Bigfoot out, and he's really badly burned. And so these soldiers are trying to help this wounded Bigfoot out of the cave, and eventually the Bigfoot in the vehicle sees his compatriot and just kind of shakes his head. Mm, he's not going to make it. Let's go. The guy's like, at least give me a fighting chance. Take me in one of those helicopters. Take me somewhere. The Bigfoot orders the Jeep to leave, and as they're driving away from the area, they hear a <laughs> And as they're driving away, they hear that gunshot, and the Bigfoot in the back seat just kind of... <sighs> shakes his head. Think about how rare it is to even see a Sasquatch. It would be... I mean, it's awful when a human dies, but there's seven billion of us. Imagine if there was only seven of us, and one of them died. It would be horrifying. So Bigfoot in the back seat is like, oh man, that's going to suck. They do this at three more locations. Not not shoot fellow Bigfoots. They go to three different locations and the Bigfoot is yelling out of the Jeep, is anyone out there? And there's no response. And then their final location they stop that day, Bigfoot lets out his call, trying to see if any of his brothers or sisters are still alive. Arr, 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 he hears in the distance. They find this dude. He has a really bad burn on his left leg. But other than that, he's A-OK. -okay. So the soldiers are like waving goodbye to Joey in the Jeep with the civilian and all that stuff. And they're going to call in a rescue crew for this guy as well. So Joey and the Bigfoot and the civilian and whoever's left in this Jeep, because they've been leaving people behind the whole time, finally make it back to base camp. And by then, they see the wounded Bigfoots actually being taken into the base camp as well. They've also been rescued successfully. And as the Bigfoot jumps out of the Jeep, he starts walking into the tent where his fellow Sasquatches are, and the civilian is walking next to him. They're having this conversation. And Bigfoot turns around and looks at Joey, looks at Joey straight in the eye. Gives him a little wave, a little wave of the hand, and then looks back down at the ground and walks into the tent of the base camp at the foot of Mount St. Helens. <laughs> Joey, Joey and the other National Guardsmen who are part of this mission are like, okay, we just we just had this adventure, now what? And it's almost like their commanding officer knew what was going on because he goes, listen, I know you guys have a lot of questions, <laughs> but I'm going to tell you this right now. You can't tell anyone about this. You cannot tell anyone about this, and here's why. These dudes are just like us. They're just trying to survive. There's not a lot of them left, and if you guys go out and tell the story of what you guys just saw, this place is going to be flooded with hunters and camera crews and wackos and everything in between. Keep your mouth shut. The 
commanding officer did say, if you want to tell the story, wait 20 or 30 years, and then you can talk about it, because at that point, they're not going to be here. But for now, best to just let it lie. Joey goes on to say that after this, he you know he's a resident of Washington. That's why he's in the National Guard. He goes, I've spent my life hiking through the Pacific Northwest. I'm always living out here and I'm always camping out here. He goes, I have never, ever, ever seen anything to make me think that these Bigfoots are still in the area. And I looked for them. I learned a little bit of Bigfoot. He's yelling it into the distance. He goes, I specifically was looking for these. Sometimes, sometimes I was just enjoying the great outdoors and I wasn't really looking for them. But on my camping and on my hikes, I would think, are they still out here? And goes, since then, I've never seen any clue that they've ever been out here. Since. I've never seen anything close to what I saw that day when I escorted Bigfoot around Mount St. Helens. I find it fascinating when we talk about Bigfoot. There's two camps. We've talked about this before on the show, so I'm going to go over it really briefly. But there's the camp, and I think this is the most popular camp. That Bigfoot is a biological creature that exists, that leaves behind fur and leaves behind poop, and it eats berries and wild animals, and someday we'll catch it. Just like every year or two, we discover new... Every year we discover new species on the planet Earth. That's a misleading fact. Well, it's, it's a truthful fact, but most of the time it's like little salamanders, tiny little fishes, insects that you could have stepped on all day long and never seen. And then you can look back like people thought the gorilla was a myth. People didn't believe gorillas were real. Hans Vermhat still doesn't. But until they saw them, they had heard these stories about these giant man-like creatures. And they're like, that's impossible. But they found them. But I think the more realistic, quote-unquote realistic idea, at least for me, is, but it sounds unrealistic for Bigfoot, is that it's some sort of spiritual entity, that it is interdimensional. We've covered stories where humans turn into Bigfoots. We've covered stories where Bigfoots are piloting UFOs or prisoners in UFOs. We've encountered interdimensional Bigfoots. We've encountered biblical Bigfoots. Uh, Mormon Bigfoot is supposedly Cain from the Bible who killed his brother and continues to walk the earth. I'll put all those episodes in the show notes if you want to have a Bigfoot bash. But I also, I think it's more like that. I think it's more that it's some sort of spiritual creature, some sort of transdimensional creature. However, I do believe, if, if it's not that, I believe the Bigfoot used to be here. I think that's far more likely that when the Native Americans were settling the New World, they encountered Bigfoot. And when you had tales of the Yeti, when you had tales of these creatures and other, the wild man in Russia and all these things, they did exist at that time. They were a real biological creature. And the stories today would be the last sightings of these things. It's possible that Bigfoot existed from Native American times up through 1960s, 1970s, 1980s, and the population kept dwindling smaller and smaller. And now there are none. Now, and this is just a hypothesis. I, I, you know, you can say, no, I saw Bigfoot. My house is getting robbed by Bigfoot right now. I think it's possible that the creature existed at one point, And nowadays it's mistaken identity. Nowadays it's something else. It's a bear walking through the woods or something like that. I'm, I'm not adverse to believing that Bigfoot never existed. I don't know if I'm being rambly here. I just find it so hard to believe. <laughs> I believe in aliens and demons and ghosts. I find it so hard to believe that there is a biological creature walking around today that has a dedicated industry to finding him and they can't find him. So that makes me think he either, one, used to exist as a biological creature and is long dead. Like 1980s, this may, that may have been the last 
surviving troop of Bigfoot in the area. And nowadays, it's just all people telling stories or misidentifying things. Or Bigfoot is not a biological entity. It is some sort of spirit creature. It is some sort of transdimensional entity. But I do like this story because it is that idea that this is the last group of its race. And this mountain exploded. This volcano blew up. And Bigfoot's driving around trying to find survivors of his very, very quickly dwindling species. I also like the idea of the human translator, right? I mentioned on an episode a long time ago, and I don't remember what episode it was, but if the if the military, if the governments of the world have groups dedicated to studying UFOs, to studying psychic phenomenon, to being able to tell, can you remote view the military, Russia, and America have tried to have remote viewers. They've tried to work with telekinesis and telepathy. If they have groups dedicated to that, I am sure they have groups dedicated to finding out, are ghosts real? Are demons real? Does Bigfoot exist? Why wouldn't you? You just be like, what? That's ridiculous. I'm going to keep turning these dials and trying to find an alien transmission from Alpha Centauri. If you're looking for alien life, if you believe that telekinesis is possible, why would you shut the door to... The Bigfoot phenomenon. So I like that idea as well, that the military would know about these things. And the reason why they would keep it quiet is because why not? I mean, if they're just a bunch of gentle giants, it's not like you could train them to go kill Osama bin Laden, right? They, they would just be like eating figs and things like that. So if the government knew, hey, you know, there's a species, there's probably about 15 of them left by the year 1980. All the other sightings are misidentified. And there's a horrible disaster. Let's see how many of these guys we can save. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be a malicious story. They would be curious, right? They, they may take the dead bodies to do some experiments on. But interesting story. It just really opens up the idea of what is Bigfoot? Is it a quickly dying species that suffered a great loss on May 18th, 1980? Is it a vibrant biological community that to this day is all over America, all over the world? These Sasquatches, these Bigfoots, these Yetis, these Yowies still continue to exist today and raise new families, have little baby Bigfoots, and so on and so forth. Or is it a even more puzzling answer that they are interdimensional, that they have some connection to UFOs or just high strangeness in general? But whenever we look at these big theories, we do tend to forget the humanity of the Bigfoot. They really do seem to be gentle giants. We very rarely come across stories where they threaten humans, let alone hurt them. And here was a story about a National Guardsman who was in the right place at the right time to become part of history, a rescue mission to save the Sasquatch. When Joey was out hiking, is it possible that he missed every sign that these Bigfoot buddies were still around? And he thinks to this day, well, that was the last of them. And like my commanding officer said, just wait 30 years because they're not going to be around much longer. It was a species on the verge of extinction. And since then, they've disappeared. Or even though Joey thought he was walking alone in the woods, was he being watched by an old friend of his? A Bigfoot that once sat in the back of a Jeep, wailing mournfully to see if his fellow countrymen were still alive is now standing in the forest, completely cloaked by the foliage above his head, standing next to his son and his wife, and going, that is the man who helped me that day. That is the man 
who saved our people. And as Joey's fishing in the stream, Bigfoot turns to his son and goes, That is why I named you Joey. Because of him. And as the Bigfoot family disappears into the dense forests of the Pacific Northwest, Joey, the former National Guardsman out on a hike, thought he had a once-in-a-lifetime encounter with the mighty Bigfoot. It turns out he made a friend for life. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys.